Welcome to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast, a podcast where a couple of fools grab some cold ones and talk by the fire. So crack a cold one, come sit by the fire, and get a few laughs as we discuss everything from the meaning of life, space travel, and weird moments in history. Al Gore warned us, China's making it real. What happens when you combine a pig, a man, and a bear? You get man-bear-pig. No, guys, I'm being super serial. Man-bear-pig might be a thing. But before we get into how man-bear-pig might be a real thing, and actually very soon, Nick, how are you, and what are you drinking? I'm doing great. Better than pretty much everyone we're going to talk about today. Enjoying a whiskey coke. How about yourself? <laughs> that was such a dark joke, and I loved it. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I got a vodka smoothie, which is dangerous because I can't taste it. And uh, yeah. So we're going hard A today. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like we need to take shots with this topic. We're talking about human experimentation. And uh, Nick, uh, this is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, this will probably be the most fucked up episode, which... Human trafficking was up there. Yeah, I don't know. This might be worse. Mm, fair, fair enough. The beginning was going to be heavy, but then after that, I don't think it's going to be as bad. But we'll we're, we haven't recorded it yet, so it's hard to say. <laughs> well, let me start in the very beginning. Humanity has puzzled and tested the human body since our ancestors became bipedal, from testing certain berries to see if they're poisonous, to pondering. If our digestion system is mechanical or chemical, that actually used to be a huge thing in history of which one it was. Romans tested surgeries on gladiators. Renaissance scientists stole bodies from graves for dissection. But it wouldn't be until the 20th century where human experimentation was pronounced in scientific study. It wasn't taboo as much anymore to study the human body in its both psychological ways and internal ways. So you have a few types of human experimentation. You have self-experimentation, doing it to yourself. Volunteer or willing, like, hey, I, I volunteer as tribute. Unknown or forced, so either I'm spiking Nick's drink, no, I'm not Bill Cosby him, or I'm simply just tying Nick down and doing something to him. Both of those are called the hot Cosby. <laughs> and unfortunately all those uh ways i just mentioned are still practiced even today both in physical human experimentation and psychological human experimentation both both the experimentation of the mind and the body have very similar laws and very similar backgrounds and very much overlap of darkness and some good but an example of when this kind of turned the century in a good one, and one I kind of wanted to start with, was in 1929. A self-experimentation by a Dr. Werner Forsman, a fresh new doctor with some new ideas. Forsman thought that the some situations in medicine needed to be administrated directly to the heart by a consistent, safe way, such as feeding an IV through the arm or the leg. At this time, the way medicine was administrated to the heart was simply stabbing a needle through the chest, which is dangerous 
and doesn't always work. So, Forsman brought his idea into his peers. They all kind of laugh and disagreed with him. Deciding to take matters into his own hands, Frostman convinced a nurse to open the storage closet and to be a willing test subject for his idea. He tied her down and began to do the experiment on himself. He simply tied her down so she would not interfere. After doing it to himself, he wanted to get an x-ray and asked for her assistance to do it. His procedure worked and is now used for many different medical purposes and it wouldn't have happened if he didn't do it on himself. Then we kind of get darker stuff, sticking with the United States. In 1932, the United States would take 600 black men, 399 would have syphilis. Syphilis is going to be a very reoccurring theme throughout the 20th century. It was on everyone's minds and apparently in everyone's body. The government said they would treat these men with the syphilis, give them free meals and burial insurance. The government lied. No. And you. <laughs> they used these men as guinea pigs, not treating the disease, letting it spread to others, and studying long term how syphilis kills the body. And when penicillin came around, they didn't even use penicillin. They kept letting syphilis kill them and their family. This experiment was supposed to last for six months, but it lasted for 40 years. This would be the Tuskegee experiment, which is kind of a early stages, but we are. Getting a lot of experimentations done by both East and West. There are no innocent countries in this. And there's definitely villains, especially when we start getting towards the 1940s. And I don't know if you just want to hop into the 1940s, Nick, because, boy, I think I might need more vodka if we're going to do that one. Yeah, so I want to do one a little bit earlier than that that we talked about previously. Uh, John Snow, the English physician. He was the inventor, basically, of anesthesia. He was. Uh, he also kind of ended the uh, cholera outbreak in London, but he experimented with uh, anesthesia mostly on himself, which uh, hell of a good time. Yeah, basically, just chloroformed himself all the time. But he definitely was one to pioneer that. But he did it on himself first, and then he did it on other people after realizing it worked. And so there were some good things to come out of human experimentations. And this was a, a self-experimentation, but I had to bring that one up again because we're going to talk about a lot of bad things here. And I wanted to stress that there's a, a huge level of human experimentation, a spectrum of people who want to help others and experiment on themselves, people who want to help others and experiment on others, People who want to hurt people and experiment on others. <laughs> so, you know, people who do good and then who do bad but end up doing good. People who do good and end up doing bad. It's it's a very a huge range of Mixed topic. world. Yeah. And uh, but what we're about to talk about is just just pretty fucked up. Well, still trying to avoid talking about the fucked up parts. Uh, I'm ha the the self experimentation to me is always a little bit more respect in my opinion like i'm th I, i'm trying to think through the history books has there ever been an evil self-experimentation scientist and i can't really come up with one there's definitely ones that kill themselves from dumb reasons but i'm thinking of john snow i'm thinking what was um maria carey and her husband the nobel prize winners for radioactive materials that we yeah they tested that on themselves the uh probably the most famous example of self-testing 
Yeah, for some reason to me, self-experimentation's always been, self-testing has always been almost noble. It's like you're trying to help, you believe enough, but you don't want to hurt anyone else, so you do it to yourself. Yeah, and, and some people, it's not that it's not noble, but some of it's like, well, I can't experiment on anyone else, so I better do it on me. But, uh, you know, I, I do agree. It's definitely on the, the better end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder what the mindset is of a person who says, I'll just do it on myself rather than get subjects. Because that's a bold move to test something. Because I'll be honest, I'm thinking of like every super villain. Like I'm thinking of like Batman villains that turn themselves into cheetahs. They're like It's like they're just experimentations that gone wrong on themselves and they turn into super villains. I'm just like surprised that mindset of the people in the real world that do self-experimentations tend to be at least kind-hearted or dumb enough to get themselves killed. Well, it's it's crazy too because I've seen so it's a little off topic here, but talking about herbicides and glyphosate, glyphosate being a relatively safe herbicide. There's in in California huge fights over what is safe, you know, normal shit. And uh farmers have actually just like poured like a glass of glyphosate because you can drink, I think, like a hundred, like sixteen pounds, yeah, right? A lot, a lot of it before it becomes toxic, to prove that it's not toxic, and it's it's true. We do know how much you need to actually affect you, and as long as it doesn't have the uh, surfactant in it, the thing that helps it get into cells better, then it's pretty much inert to us. But it's like I. I still wouldn't drink it. <laughs> I know I know it's not going to kill me, but I'm not going to drink it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm good. I'll pass on that one. That's a that's a nice party trick for you, but not for me. So it's, yeah, to do. And, and the people who are doing this, like Jon Snow and Marie Curry, they don't know it's not going to kill them. Well, you know. <laughs> a little bit of column A, a little yeah. bit of column B. They don't know the outcome, I guess. So that's even crazier. And they're willing to roll the dice on themselves rather than use other people. But you know who was willing to use other people, Nick? The Japanese? Yep. Unit 731. A Japanese unit during World War II. Did you II. come across what their, not their unit number, but what their uh, like unit name was? I did not. What's their unit name? It's, uh, I can't remember exactly, but it's something like, uh, like water treatment and uh, in like disease prevention unit. Oh, oh, yeah. That that's that total. <laughs> what kind of bullshit name is that? Epa. <laughs> Damn, we're in South Park. We're in old podcast. We're at the Simpsons. Damn, we're on a roll. But Unit Seven Three One, in my opinion is way worse than Nazis during World War II. And I can't express their crimes against their against humanity. They tested on Russians, Chinese, POWs, civilians, everyone and everything. They tested hypothermia and frostbite on prisoners to d see how damaged the body would be and how different ways to counteract frostbite, such as pouring boiling water and sticking the frostbitten area part into a fire my favorite i say this with heavy quotations vivisection which is mutilating bodies without anesthesia keep this in mind 
This was what Jon Snow was eighteen sixty seven, eighteen seventy, eighteen, yeah, fifties, sixties, eighteen forty. So nearly a hundred years since anesthesia has been kind of regulated, they would still perform amputations, organ removal to see the bleed out rate and how to practice on bodies, and they did not use anesthesia on their victims. Yeah, so the the Greeks did that. And uh, then we decided that was bad. <laughs> well, I guess history does really repeat itself. Yeah, so pretty much after that, after dissecting live people, everyone was like, well, no more d- dissecting bodies, whether alive or dead, until like uh, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci. Well, that was still illegal, technically. They right. were, they had but this... then now it started to come back. Like, that was the turn, the, the tide turned at that point. Oh, yeah. It, it's like, guys, we can learn so much right here. Maybe we stop dying of things that are preventable. <laughs> <laughs> but to go back to the live mutilation, after they were done cutting them up, they would either shoot them, lethal injection, possibly bury them alive, but we're not quite sure on that one, or use them as target practice. And by target practice, I mean they use people to test weapons, such as bayonet, flamethrowers, nerve gas, blister agents. Uh, not all good ways to go, if I'm going to be honest with you. They deprived people of food and water, uh, forcing seawater into their systems, injecting them with mismatched blood or animal blood to study clotting. For those who don't know, uh, by this point... Uh, identifying if bloods were a match was already a common and in-practice thing. It was even used on the fields of World War One. so having it done so many years later was just for nothing. They were literally just throwing in animal blood and other humans' mixed blood just to watch people suffer, pretty much. This is an interesting one, Nick. Uh, they tested a lot on children. And they found that children can withstand less G-force than adults before dying. And like I said, syphilis is going to be a common attribute to a lot of things. And when Chinese people were trying not to get syphilis, they simply had soldiers rape those people to give them syphilis so they would have more test subjects to study. Uh, Needless to say... And you know how a lot of those women got... Or, yeah, so a lot of those people, they also like... Unit 731 liked to experiment on pregnant women for whatever reason. And do you know how they got them pregnant? Unfortunately, I do. So it was also rape. Yeah. All these experiments, all this data that they quote-unquote collected was garbage. It's unusable. Their scientific methods were absolute garbage. Also, fun fact, all the officers and leaders of these units and these crimes never got charged with war crimes because they gave the data for their freedom. Many of those people who did all these crimes... Would Which was agreed to... to by Douglas MacArthur. That was part of yep. the terms of surrender. Yep, and a lot of those people who committed all those rapes, crimes, tortures on children, uh, women, men, elderly, young, old, they got to live very actually successful lives and start a lot of businesses. So and that they, really they published the, a lot of the data that they ended up publishing. Instead of saying that it was performed on humans, they just said it was performed on monkeys. Well, that's... Ugh, did not know that. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's... um, 
They created atrocities that killed millions of people and experiments on millions of people for nothing. There was no data learned. <laughs> do you know why? Well, do you know why they were interested in syphilis and pregnant women with syphilis? I imagine syphilis because they're own soldiers, but I'm not sure with the pregnant. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's accurate. Yeah, they the Japanese. I don't know what the term here is. Conscripted tolls like human trafficked uh, women of low, you know, didn't have family or whatever, or anyone they get their hands on, basically force them to be quote unquote comfort women. And uh, and they and syphilis was sweeping through their soldiers ranks because they were all having sex with the same women and then they were trying to figure out how to stop syphilis from spreading through their military well that's fucked up and uh sticking with the fucked up the nazis at the same time were using camps prisoners to test like the japanese a slew of monstrous things immunization compounds for malaria uh typhus Tuberculosis, typhoid fever, yellow fever, bone grafting, the list just goes on and on. Hypothermia, like the Japanese. Um, they exp- It's really weird. It seems like the Japanese focused on pregnant women, and the Nazis focused a lot on twins. I don't know if you saw that comparison, Nick, between the two monsters. I did not pick up on the twins thing with the Nazis. Definitely picked up on the pregnant women thing with the Japanese. Well, I saw a lot of experimentation done on twins by the Nazis. For some reason, uh, some some Nazi scientists were fascinated with twins. So either being teenagers, children, or adults, all got experimented on, uh, one of them would be like injected with a poison and then they would kill the healthy twin to they so we can do comparison of the organs like stuff like that or they would try experimentations to get one eye uh, one of their eye to one of the t- set of twins eyes to be blue and then like cut up in their head and see how it affected and then cut up the 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 one that didn't get tested on as a comparison it reminds me of remember when we were talking about how to solve the latitude longitude problem of where they're trying to figure out, keep clocks at sea. And the idea was, well, a dog's, it will still be attached to its skin. So it, if you take a piece of the dog's skin and you dip it in salt water, it will hurt and it hurt the dog at the same time. So at noon, and wherever the dog is in the world, it'll bark. Yeah. it. Some people are just batshit crazy. I know most likely they'll say And again, that was a long time before... 1939 like i feel like we knew that the germans were making v1 rockets that at the time they were putting blue ink into kids eyes like that i mean what who who whose fucking dumb nephew is this that you just gave him a job now he's fucking it up royally well after all these crimes a numeric code a set of ethical research principles for human experimentation after the Nazi war criminals were tried for their experimentations and treatments on humans. For the most part, the Newberg Code is a good idea, but poor in execution. It wasn't really used after being made. And the Newberg Code is, in fact, a recommendation, not a law. And it still pisses me off that none of those fucking Imperial Japanese men, officers, and leaders got charged with war crimes for 
doing, in my opinion, worse things than the Nazis did, which is a hard thing to do. So they're slowly trying to turn that around, like I mentioned with the comfort girls, Japan slowly acknowledging and helping them, even though many have been disband, like disowned by their families, as well as uh, not that it's much, but they, uh, in 18, 2018, most of the people who were in Unit 731's names were released, and a lot of people lost their you know, jobs or whatever the fuck. Their people are taking uh, their degrees away. Like, um, I know it's not anything, but like, uh, da, 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 Katsuo Nishiyama. Don't know how the fuck I'm supposed to say that. He um, He's trying to use it to basically any person who graduated from their university take away their degree, make it illegitimate. So... They're trying to turn it around, but yeah. Aren't most World so, War II veterans like dead at this point? Yeah, pretty much. But, okay. Uh, I don't know. I guess something's better than nothing. I don't know. Yeah, so much for never again. But I want to be. I want to be very clear. There's no innocent countries in this. Uh, eventually, China would do its own experimentation. The United States, who kind of helped put an end to this. Would, would still do its own human experimentation. In 1955, the United States would test yellow fever on its own people, releasing mosquito bombs with that were affected by yellow fever to Georgia and Florida. They were testing to see if mosquitoes could survive high altitude and use it as a bioweapon to spread disease and try to figure out its rate. Government officials disguised medical personnel went in to collect data. So why there are a shit ton of mosquitoes in Georgia? The fucking U.S. Army. That's why. So, the U.S. U.S. government may have a role in why Florida is so fucked up. Is what you're saying? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm kind of gonna move into an like an unknown territory. Uh, I, I don't know if you have anything more with force because I think I think it's pretty obvious that forced human experimentation is bad, and please don't do it. Yeah, I think we talked about the main ones. We talked about. The Japanese, the Germans, the United States. Everyone's done it. It's all fucked up. Uh, and yeah, moving on. Well, I'm going actually to move on. I'll go a little bit a little bit back in time. Uh, I don't know if you came across a Henrita Lock Lax? Locks? I think it's Lax. I can't read my own handwriting. I I wanna say Henrietta Locks. Yeah, that that sure, let's go with that. Um I I do remember this from high school, but I, I didn't actually research much about it. She's probably one of the most important people who people barely know about. So in 1951, uh, Hernetta Lax, uh, a woman, would develop cervical cancer, and she would go to John Hopkins Hospital for her treatment. At this time, being a black woman, John Hopkins it was like the only hospital that she could go to. A doctor would take part of her tumor and send it to other scientists trying to grow cells. Scientists had been looking for cells that could grow for pretty much forever to use them as research. Henrietta's, her cancer cells, they never died. Henrietta, her, her unfortunate disease was the immortal grail for scientific cells in a culture. Her cells would be essential for polio vaccines. 
getting sent to space, important for gene mapping. The list goes on and on. But she never gave approval for her cells to be used. Just a little quick note. The reason why the cells are immortal. like So a normal cell cycle, cell will live and die. If a cell cycle keeps living forever, that's how cancers form. But her cell cycle, since it you could grow them to culture and keep growing them, you had a universal one, you ones you can keep for a while, one you can do experimentations, a control group. Her cells w- w- was like having paper invented in the DNA and scientific world. But it she never gave approval to have her part of her body, granted this was tumor cells, be used for this. And that kind of goes into unknown. I mean, we've talked about self-experimentation, talked about experimentation forcefully on others, but not knowing you're being tested on, that's a very gray area. Yeah, and I want to do one more story about people not knowing they're being tested on. Did you run across Edward Jenner, 1796? I did not. Okay, so he's another English physician. In 1796... He was treating a lot of people for smallpox and people always said like you couldn't if you had got cowpox you wouldn't get smallpox and cowpox is like just a infection you can get from so uh, you can get cowpox from milking cows who are infected with cowpox and you just kind of get it you get like blisters and shit and then it goes away and so one day he had a uh, patient who had cowpox and he's like, Oh, let's test this out. So he takes some of the cowpox tissue and injects it into uh, just some random eight year old kid walking by rip. (laughs) And uh, so he put the cowpox in there. The kid got cowpox and then was fine. And then he's like, well, let's see if this works. So then he took smallpox tissue and injected into the kid and uh, the kid didn't get smallpox. So I just want to point this out. If the kid did get smallpox, he probably would have died. So <laughs> it's like he's he was about to seriously fuck up this kid if it didn't work. Um, and uh, so Survey then he's like, says. and so then he's like, oh, that, thank God that worked. Let's try my son. So he did. He gave his son's uh, cowpox. And then he gave his son smallpox and he lived. So, and then everyone, you know, caught on. And this is the crazy part. That's where the word vaccine comes from, from the Latin for cow or vaca. Yeah, vaca, yeah. Which is funny because I always remember it in talking to the, the Mexican people I work with. I just remember cow is called vaca because of the cow shit is caca de vaca, which I think is fucking hilarious. Good to know. You see, you learn something new every day. You come for human experimentation. You you leave with cow shit. You you learn how to say cow shit in Spanish. <laughs> this is the hard hitting journalism you've been looking for. Yeah, but I'm I'm very mixed on unknown willing participants because there's I don't know about you, Nick, but for human experimentation, I mainly focus on physical rather than psychological because. I think psychological itself could be its own episode. But there are some psychological experiments where they didn't tell their participants what was happening. So they were unknown test subjects. And because of that, we got certain data that we would never have gotten before. 
But it's really a roll of the dice. You either get smallpox or you don't. You either get cancer cells that can live forever and to help solve your other diseases, or you don't. It's I don't I don't know how I feel about this one, Nick. Well, yeah. So like, um, uh, do you do you run across J. Marion Sims? Maybe that name okay. sounds familiar. He was he's a he's a big deal if you're a gynecologist. Wouldn't know, but uh, he basically <laughs> so discovered. Many, yeah, so many jokes. <laughs> he. <laughs> Fuck you. He, <laughs> you know, he did a he discovered a lot of things about how to save women, you know, during childbirth and all this stuff. But he basically learned all this by experimenting on slaves and other women. Like he did stuff that ended up hurting women, but because he found out ways to save people, he's a hero. The only thing that separates him from being like a serial killer—not a serial killer, but I don't know—someone super fucked up. And a hero is the fact that what he did, some of it ended up working, right? So it's a very fine line. History's written, written by the winners, I guess. Uh, yeah, but I'm very cautious with unknown because, at least for me, when I came across psychological ones, they you you could mentally damage someone really easily. Like, like there's no aftercare at this time. There's no thought. There's no... like it's it's the wild west of human experimentation it's like from like the 1700s to like the 1990s and well we'll get into after the 1990s it's all the wild west there's like no rules no regulations but it's still feel like i think right now at least in our tier list self self experimentation is like the best one you can do forcefully experimenting is the worst you can do experimenting unknown i feel like it's more closely to forcing experimentations than it is experimenting on yourself because how many experiments do we not know about where they forced it on other people or not them people not knowing and they just nothing came of it and they just died yeah i mean we don't we'll never know right we may never know or we will never care to know but in case anyone's wondering the rules the heavy 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 quotations on rules didn't come until the 1978 when the Belmont Report was issued. The Belmont Report is a summarization of principles and ethical guidelines for human experimentation here in the United States. Um, the Belmont Report is basically three fundamental principles. Respect for persons, benefits, and justice. Uh, from what I could read, the Belmont Report is mainly used in psychology experiments, not so much on human experimentations. When it comes to human experimentations, like I'm talking like surgeries, medicine, stuff like that, they usually go through the Institutional Review Boards, or the IRB, which, under the FDA regulation, is a board to review, monitor, and protect humans in medical trials. I think it's important to note, 70 to 75% of drugs approved by the FDA for animal trials tend to be unsafe and useless for humans. So I don't know how much I trust the FDA to carry out sanctions on human experimentations. Yeah, and this also brings up the point of why human experimentation is important, because we don't function exactly like mice, exactly like dogs or whatever else we're trying to test on. Oh, yes. It, uh, it's Everything's good on paper until it's time to do the real thing. But yeah, and I think there's a lot of variability between what some people would consider ethical and what others would. 
I think which we've which we've just talked about. <laughs> you know it's fucked up, Nick. Me and you, we actually came close to death. If we were born a few years earlier, we could have been in experimentation that caused our death. Um, like I said, there's no country innocent in this. In uh, 1993, keep this in mind, 1993 is after all these rules and committees and boards are in place. A, in my opinion, unethical experiment, and I think by everyone's opinion will be unethical, was done on children in the United States. Scientists used a large batch of children and used them to study whooping cough. Some children were given treatments. 500 were given a placebo to treat them. Giving a placebo to treat against whooping cough is a death sentence. And that, to me, follows with the unknown again, because you're giving a placebo. I mean, if you're doing a scientific study, placebo is kind of useful in your data. But when life or death is on the line and you're giving people whooping cough, maybe maybe don't use a fucking placebo. Yeah, and I think the the ethics of a placebo is pretty interesting because I, I think the current model guidelines basically say that for an experiment like that, your control group is the current available treatment or the most common treatment. So whatever the most common treatment for whooping cough would be, that would be tested against whatever the new treatment is. Because that's no longer ethical, like you said, to use a placebo on something that could be terminal. Yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of a known, but I want to keep this point. From a bunch of experimentations done from unknown willing participants, actual useful data that has benefited benefited humanity has come out of it. It's awful ill-gotten, but it has been useful in some aspects. How useful is definitely up for debate, but it has shown some beneficial to humanity, some experimentations that we would call unethical today. Control is something that we learned from the very early age of the learning the scientific method is something that we need. And it's true, we do need to measure two variables just to look at the data, but it's not always ethical to do that, right? Like if you're doing cancer research, a trial, yeah, cancer research, is it ethical to not give someone a potential treatment? You know, give them the placebo, give them the sugar pill, anything experimental like that? Or just like like we talked about, you know, how the the more modern version of quote-unquote control is the most common treatment of this. So, you know, say if you're comparing headache treatments, you're comparing against ibuprofen or something like that. And that way, obviously be much more pressing than that since headache's not actually life-threatening, but that's my example. But how do you, how do you balance the morality of, you know, getting good data, right? Like of treating people, but also not having any control because if 100% of people in your study take this, I guess you can compare it to the normal, you know, death rate of that disease, but it's hard to, to, you know, justify that data. Well, I imagine it's so hard with so many variables. I mean, each person, let alone has different genetics, that plays a huge factor, different diets, different lifestyles, different ways they've lived their life to get to that point. It's, uh, it's there's so many variables and you want to try to limit as much as possible so you find the actual true answer, the true cure, or at least the true purpose of your experimentation. So you need something to compare it to. You need a comparison, that usually being a control. I don't think placebo is the right thing to do. I don't think 
having unknown participants is the right thing to do. Luckily, both of those are technically illegal in the United States with their workarounds. Uh, I I don't know a good answer for control group. Is it is it just look at the people who've already died from it? Because let's be honest, if we have I don't know, I have stage four cancer of some sort. Give me everything in the kitchen sink. I don't fucking care. And I imagine that's for a lot of people, especially if they have kids, just like do whatever it takes. It might be experimentation or whatever. I'll I'll sign the waiver, or even worse, because if they go to at the go to boards and committees, the committee only allows them for twelve weeks. So you're doing a study, but you're only allowed to do it for twelve weeks. But the treatment might take sixteen weeks, might take two months, might take a year. It's it's a very tricky subject, and. Again, all those variables, they matter. Every inch matters when it comes to diseases. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, yeah, you need someone to decide that though, right? And I mean, we have that, but it's just, it's it's scary watches the to think. Yeah, yeah, right? I don't know. It's just the, you know, medical science is not like, you know, when I read a paper on, uh, you know, forest management, your control group are, are trees. You know, if something happens to them and they die, we can still make houses out of them. So it's, there's definitely not as much morality that needs to be there yeah. <laughs> comparing <laughs> talking to humans. I love how you somehow fit trees into almost every episode. Well, it's what I do. So <laughs> This might sound a little weird, but I'm just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Could the control or the placebo be monkeys? And then the actual test subjects be humans, like use animal testing as the control and use humans for the actual treatment. I don't know. I'm just trying to find out ways where it's a win-win for everyone all around. The monkeys lose. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Well, monkeys do. Monkeys normally lose. You're so close to greatness. (laughs) You're this close. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, probably. It just depends, right? Like if... It's not going to be perfect because it, the medicine might not react to 70, 75%. That's it's yeah to us. So it's kind of like, well, or what if they can't even get that whatever illness? Yeah. Some have a natural, like a blue. Do I mean, do monkeys even suffer from erectile dysfunction? Uh, is there something you want to share with the rest of the class, Nick? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking about. 90 to 85 percent of the commercials i've ever seen on tv all right touche touche uh yeah i don't know it's like i'm i'll be honest i didn't think about erectile dysfunction i was thinking like the blue gilled lizard out in california or blue something belly lizard that's naturally immune to lyme disease well lyme disease is actually kind of a huge problem for humans so that's i that's a that's a problem you have to you have to cater every drug, every treatment to different types of animals. And it's not just like, oh, we can use pigs forever as control group. It's, again... We'll even look at, like, uh, fleas. Humans are the only animal that has a flea that's specific to us. <laughs> we're uh, we're a little bit different than most animals. Yeah, not your uh, common bear. But that being said, it's not stopping a lot of scientists still from doing human research. Um uh, one being on at least my opinion on the good side that time will tell but so far they seem pretty good is nasa nasa still forms human experimentation and luckily they stayed away from the bush and obama administration doing quote-unquote tests on prisoners in guantanamo bay 
They just do kind of interesting experiments in space and on ground. So they have actually a whole department called the HRD, uh, sorry, HRP, the Human Research Program. One, which I thought was really interesting and also kind of ironic, it's an experimentation by, done by NASA about twins. A little Von Braun, little Nazi, little Nazi, not, uh, NASA joke for you. Where did all these Germans come <laughs> from at NASA? <laughs> Well, NASA took these two twins, Scott and Mark Kelly, two identical twins to participate. One was spent a year in space and the other did not. And they just compared them physically and mentally, which is kind of important because we're looking at long-term space travel. We do tons of experiments in the International Space Station. We need to test the body. We test G-force. Granted, we're not like the Japanese testing on kids until they die. We're just trying to figure out best suits to help counteract uh, the G-Force, how to train people for G-Force. We're still doing human experimentations. It's just we're not cranking the dial to fucking 10. Yeah, and then, I mean, there's always going to be stuff we need to know about us that we don't know yet. Of, I mean, not only how we react to different medicines, but how we react in space is pretty important, going to be probably more important. And... uh you can only send so many dogs and monkeys into space, right? <laughs> Very true. Uh, and I think a lot of people forget is we're still evolving. We're not a stationary creature. We're still picking up new things and doing things in different ways, which cause us to have new bodies, new offspring, different genes activated, which means something that we experimented, I don't know, 100 years ago might not stand the test of time, especially when it deals with psychology. Well, probably a little bit less when it comes to experimental of physical body, but human experimentation needs to be almost consistent. We just have to make sure we're doing it correctly. Speaking of maybe correctly, maybe not correctly, I have to share this. It's a little bit out of left field, but uh, well, I it'll make sense after I explain it. So the University of California in San Diego, a team of scientists took a cluster of nerve cells. They kind of act like a brain. The cells, when they're in a cluster, actually give off brain waves, which is really interesting. So they're not conscious, but they are giving off brain waves, and they're trying to act. And Nick, what do you think they did once they realized they have some cells giving off brain waves? Send them into space. Close. Uh, they decided to hook them up to robotic spiders. Oh, <laughs> that was... That was the next option. Uh, do you want an apocalypse? Because that's how you get an apocalypse. <laughs> like that's <laughs> you want you want robotic spiders to take over the world. That's how you get robotic spiders to take over the world. Sorry, it was just so I'll... every day, every day, we are one experiment away from ruining our entire life. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was I, I couldn't figure out where I wanted to fit this in, but I just needed to say it. It just makes me happy. We put fake brain cells that we kind of manifest together and put them in robotic spiders. What should we do with these? Should we use them to solve math problems? Now hear me out. (laughs) Spiders (laughs) with robot legs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of leads me in a transition of how much of a human is necessary to count as human experimentation. Like, um, in the Renaissance, you couldn't do it on a live person. You had to do it on a cadaver. Even a cadaver is taboo. Uh, when you're doing it, like, in Japan and 
Nazi Germany using live cadavers, they're kind of fucking awful, but that's definitely human exploitation. So how many... I was going to say, there was no such thing as taboo. <sighs> yeah, that's that's a very true statement. So how much of a human body is a human body? The reason why I ask this is because a lot of modern research, at least a lot of research that I saw in the very modern times is embryo and embryonic stem cell research for human experimentation. They're using embryo cells rather than hu entire human bodies, which I, I count that as human experimentation, but I don't know if a cluster of cells actually counts as humans. I feel like one consent's kind of important here. Like when you're talking, oh, like we're just going to experiment on this leg we got from this, from this guy. Did this guy donate it after a motorcycle accident or did we just steal this leg? Like some <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy shit. So I think there's that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, for talking about like individual cells, I guess, you know, there's probably, probably gotta give consent, give the cells and you probably, I don't know, you own your cells, I'm assuming. Well, it's actually, that's actually a whole other conversation no. because I think some companies are starting to patent DNA, like different, it's, it's messed up. But the reason why I bring this up is for United States, a, w a workaround on human experimentation is they usually offshore them to countries that don't have laws on human experimentation. And it's pretty much every first world country that does that. And the reason why I'm bringing up embryonic cells and offshoring is because, well... Because they took their dibs. Uh, poor choice of words, Nick. A team of Chinese, United States, and Spanish scientists mixed human with monkey cells. They injected 25 stem cells from humans into embryos of the Marquet monkeys for a 20-day experiment. After 20 days, only three embryos still contained human DNA. There were like 132, 140 monkey embryos. Uh, this is uh, Crimearism. This is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The goal was to look at the possibility of growing organs in a species mixed with another, which has some merit, but I thought this was interesting because they did an interview with uh, NPR, your favorite. The lead author of this study said to NPR, and I quote, our goal is not to generate any new organism, any monster, and we are not doing anything like that. We are trying to understand how cells from different organisms communicate with one another, end quote. And so I want to say on behalf of NPR, if you're on the side of the organ harvesters, you're probably not the good guys. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Fuck NPR. Well, I also love how he says we're not trying to create any monsters. You know how you want to create monsters? You start mixing some shit together with like CRISPR and embryos that you probably shouldn't be mixing. Now keep this in mind. The, the scientist who said this is a Spanish scientist, if I remember correctly. Um, he is Professor Belmonte, and he has worked with other Crimea projects. He created a human pig embryo in China and even bringing it to term. So man bear pig was almost a legit thing, Nick. Are you cereal? I'm unfortunately super cereal. And that's like, I don't know how much 
Crimea research you did, because I went down a dark rabbit hole with that. Um, I'm going to give you a, a hint. Pretty much none. Like, nothing. This is all sad news to me. Let me let me give you, like, a CCR plane crash uh, course real quick. Uh, Crimea uh, experimentation is, like, the creature from the ancient Greeks, Crimea, which was um, the head of a lion, the body of, like, a falcon, and the tail of a snake. Pretty much it's just a bunch of animals mixed together. That's kind of what Crimea is. Actually, there's a lot of humans who are actually already Crimeas. They have like some, uh, their twin they absorb. So they what's they the have... the video game with the Chimera? The God of War. No, with the chainsaw, the chainsaw gun. I'm... Oh, Gears of War. Gears of War. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those and those guys were the Chimera too. And that's well, your useless fact for the day. I I mean like Crimea as in C H I M E R, like I C research Crimea research, um, but a lot of humans are Crimea. Well, not a lot. A portion of humans are Crimea. You have a twin. When you're growing an embryo, you absorb that twin. So, so there are some humans who have two sets of DNA. So they might have different uh bone marrow DNA compared to blood DNA. Just fun fact, but. We really, for some reason, humans really like doing shit they probably shouldn't be doing. Along with monkeys and pigs, in 2017, America also participated in human and pig. 2017, again, Portugal did a virus-human-mouse mixture. In 2019, a Japan research team did a human-mouse Crimea experiment. Now, like I said, Crimea has some benefits could be possible we don't know if they're possible and if anyone's wondering the japanese one that was the one uh they grew a human ear on a mouse that's uh that was a crimea experiment that was, that made some big headlines i don't know if you're familiar with that uh i am familiar with that and i just wanted i was joking about npr being on the side of uh organ harvesting because obviously i i realized we're trying to grow human organs and pigs but yes um Sorry, I'm just quickly doing a quick Google search for human-pig-bear hybrid, <laughs> and I haven't found anything. Just wanted to make sure we're still looking safe. Stay out of Colorado, the, uh, maybe okay. What's in Colorado? It's where South Park is. Oh, God. Oh, I thought there was... <laughs> I thought there was... No, unfortunately, there's no lab in, in Colorado about this, but there are a lot of labs in China. And a lot of experiments are done in China because China doesn't really have any human experimentation laws. They do gain of function, which is outlaw the United States, but China still does it for us. And um, more recently, you'll like this, Nick. In China, right now, there are re-education camps, which means there are camps full of human guinea pigs. And the people in these camps which I don't know if you've seen the footage of them. They are have their head shaved, blindfolded, sat on the ground, and their hands cuffed behind their back and being shipped off to somewhere in the northwestern, northeastern part of China. Well, the ones who have escaped have been claiming that they are being forced giving pills, injections, and having organs removed. Sounds a little bit like uh, what Japan did to China. A little full circle there. And unfortunately... So if you live long enough to be the hero you'll see yourself become the villain something like that something like that 
And the only reason I say allegedly is because the only evidence right now we have of this is the people who escaped these camps. But I want to say these camps, mostly Muslims, estimate one to two million people are in a province. And that's being said, who know many, how many camps there are and how many people there are. And based on China's non-give-a-fuck human experimentation laws, I would be I believe the word you're looking for is China's spotless human rights record. Yeah, Nick. They are... China's batting 100 for 100 of being the next fucking evil superpower. But, uh, yeah. So, not only are the Spanish, the Americans, uh, that's us, and the Chinese working together to create Man Bear Pig, which will doom everyone on this planet, we're also... Uh, ha- having the Chinese round up a group of people because of their religious beliefs and um, probably being experimented on. So much for that Newberg Code and Belmont Report and so much for uh, Never Again, right? Yeah, and I think uh, it's important to point out a a lot of the what's been found out about human trials is that there's one specific denominator everyone has who gets experimented on, and it's that you are a... You're either I'm dying or you have word. no choice. <laughs> no, it's uh, not, I don't know. The You're perceived as the lower class in society, right? So, like, with the the Japanese and the Chinese, you know, they experiment in the Chinese, the... Uh, Americans experimented Germans on experimented blacks, on, Nazis on Jews. Yeah, Americans experimented on blacks. So, and that's why in the... Uh, code for human experimentation specifically talks about um, groups that can be taken advantage of and why we need to protect. I'm trying to find the word so I can find the right uh, is it, phrasing. Is it really bad when you... S- Protected classes is the word they used, but basically of how easy it is to take advantage. And that uh, protected classes applies to not just like we talked about with like the Americans experimenting on African Americans or Japanese experimenting on Chinese, but uh, can I can I just uh, make a... any experiments on prisoners as well? They'd be considered a protected class. I just want to say some of these experimentations, I can't classify them as experimentations as a scientist. What the Japanese did, I I and what a lot of the Nazis did, I can't classify as experimentations. I I, I just well, can't. you that's true. But all, like I'm just trying to. I, I get you. I get you. I just wanted that. I just wanted to put that caveat in. So, but yeah. So anyone who's any minority uh, prisoners is a big one, a big protected class because so much stuff has been done to prisoners in the past. Past? You mean quite recent? Present and so I guess just and just cut that so it just says so much stuff has been done to prisoners. <laughs> Good coffee. And st- and and statement. <laughs> Um, but, you know, anyone who or even just uh, low income is a protected class. I mean, if you are at the, the will of a pharmaceutical company, you know, if you can't afford treatment, it's easy to be taken advantage of. And this kind of ties back into control since I didn't mention it previously. Um, but we we're you were talking about how pharmaceutical companies will experiment in third world countries. They will purposely select terror, like unhealthy people to be the quote-unquote control group because it'll make their medicine look better, which is the opposite of an unbiased study. 
if you're select purposely selecting a control group, but they're chain they're oh my god it, that's like that's like trying to that's like cleaning a hoarder's house versus cleaning uh, just a dirty house like jesus christ that's so dirt that's so fucked up but there's a there's a financial incentive there to pick the least unhealthy or sorry the least healthy individuals because they will probably not react you know they it'll basically make your other group you select the healthiest people as your you give them medicine and you're like look they lived so it just makes your numbers look better and and that's why i think it's important that you know when we tighten the noose on human experimentation too much you know like princess leia said the more you tighten your grasp the more star systems slip out of your control when we limit too much experimentation in first world countries it's going straight to third world countries and not they're not getting the protections that we are third, third world countries that still have caste systems in place in their society they still have tiers of people being worth different amounts that's a uh, probably not the best place to try to find some human test subjects just saying you know maybe maybe a little bit better locations maybe in our own backyard where we can control it and observe it more yeah but Nick, I got some questions for you. I'm not sure if you have anything more because we've kind of talking, we've kind of covered self-experimentation, force experimentation, unknown experimentation, and non-conscious human experimentation with the embryos, which is still utterly fascinating to me. I I'm still not quite sure where I lean on that. Sure, you, I got some questions, so you go first, and then we'll go back and forth. Sounds good to me. Uh, this one's kind of a hard one. Should ill-gotten research be used? Yes, this is my favorite. Okay, not yes, but <laughs> this is my favorite ethical dilemma, right? Because, and this is one of the first ethical dilemmas that I think I really ever learned. My dad told me about this when I was a kid, about how, because uh, he's a, a pilot, and learning about hypothermia, like if you have to get in the cold water, we know how long humans can survive with you know, environmental suits in cold water because, like we talked about earlier, the Nazis and the Japanese experimented on people. Now, that was wrong, but that data is life-saving. There was no other way we could get that data except for those monsters. Now, is it ethical to use that data the way that we received it? It was unquestionably unethical. There's, There's no question there. But if we don't use that data, more people could die. So is it more, in in good conscience, can you use that data to save lives, or should we just burn it all and never, never use it again? And I don't, and to me personally, I think that, I think we need to use that data if we're using it in order to save lives, but at the same time, be cognizant of where that information came from. And know that we know only know this because of something terrible happened. And yeah, we probably could have figured it out by ourselves of just, we know what happened, what time, you know, as we came around in technology, but we have this data here, but I don't, it still doesn't seem right. So I, I don't know. You know, what do you think? I think we should. I think if we don't, all those lives were truly wasted in vain. And almost as an homage, 
I would, it's kind of dark, and I don't know if I completely agree with it, but in my sense at this current time period in my life, it makes sense. To name any cure, any life-saving treatment, any process after the victims that they all got in Gamer's Research. Completely condemn the people who did it to them, but thank the people for the unnecessary, the violent, and the forced things they were supposed to do. It's, to boil it down, if I saw someone in caveman times eat a mushroom and the person died, I would know not to eat that mushroom. I think it would be unethical to keep that information to myself or not use that information because it involved death and pain. I completely agree with you. We should always remember where we got that information and make sure it doesn't happen again. But if you have it and lives were sacrificed for it, it seems very wrong not to use it to save more lives. It's almost it's almost uh, shooting yourself in the foot. It's like, people already died for this, but we can use it to save other lives. If we don't use this, more people will die. It's As much as I hate the greater good, because I always feel like that's associated with actual evil. I never, it's very few times in history, greater good actually means greater good. Using ill-gotten information. Well, I mean, communism's always worked out well, so. You know, that was surprising. I didn't find much research on human experimentations in Russia during the communist Soviet regime, which I'm. I think it was not the experiment you're thinking of, but it was an experiment of how fast you can ruin an economy and kill everybody. Fair enough, fair enough. But I would imagine the Russians, the Soviets, were definitely doing human experimentation. I just couldn't find any research on it. Yeah, well, I'm sure uh, Mao was doing human experiments. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. It's just uh, the whole thing, he feels dirty. Agreed. But what are you supposed to do? I don't know. It's you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, but there's stuff that I mean, and that's that's giving a little too much credence. A lot of the studies is like a lot of the things that were done to people were not uh, not in the not trying to gain knowledge. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, again, like I said, some of the experimentations I can't call them even experimentations. Like no knowledge was gained. The research message was garbage. Uh, yeah. It was. I mean, just torture. I don't know what you would call yeah, that. Yeah, torture is probably the best the word for it. Correct term is. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said. I've been thinking about this question for probably close to ten years now, and I still don't have a good answer. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. But fuck. What about your question for me? Okay, so my question is about pharmaceutical drugs, specifically generics. Okay. So every drug that gets sold needs to be tested and approved by the FDA. And as such, human trials need to be done. So let's say like ibuprofen, you know, Walmart brand or, you know, Safeway brand wants to make a generic ibuprofen. They have to go through the FDA drug approval process through of ibuprofen after the patent runs out for the other company. They have to do more experimentation on that same drug. Now we all know, you know, say it's like a, I, I don't know what's a normal dosage, but a normal dosage ibuprofen pill, ten milligrams. See if it has the same effect. Sure, if that has the same effect, and doesn't cause any bodily harm. We do all this experimentation 
for a drug that we know isn't going to hurt anyone. But we have to do that to pass all of our regulations. So my question is, is it ethical to do experiments on a new version of existing drugs just to get around patents? Um, yes and no. And because the and the argument is reduce you know if you put out say you only have one version of ibuprofen they can charge whatever they want for it but you have two and then you have competition it brings the price down so basically and this might be a broader question but or this stems from a lot of different things but is it ethical to test new drugs or existing drugs again in order to reduce pricing for that same drug and say it's not ibuprofen say it's something that like an that actually helps people like life saving so this is going to be multiple stage question uh, answer one if it's dependent on most patents run out i think the 40 year mark for max stuff and then you can create clouds galore or depending on how life saving it is like penicillin where they just made it the patent free for everyone to use. It's very dependent on if this is, I think, a cos cosmetic drug is not the best way to say it, but like ibuprofen, a, a medicine that's not life saving, just beneficial, I can see being more patented than one that's like, I don't know, some chemo treatment to, cure, to help fight cancer. Like I see those being different patent regulations. To answer your question about getting around patents, I'm very protective of my creations, and I imagine they are the same too. But if you change it enough, so like Neosporin, there are different antibacterial stuff, uh, Neosporin being one of the brands. They just change the different ingredients, one being more antifungal, stuff like that. Technically, it's different. Uh, it's just a certain amount of percentage change you have to do. I think it's either 12. But I mean, that's still the same example in a sense. It's it's all known ingredients, so it's not like anything is new. Just the and how they relate to each other is new, right? So you maybe you have eighteen percent of one ingredient in one, and you up that to twenty-two percent. So it's a it's a new product. You change another product down from you know forty, and it goes down to like thirty-eight. Like it's a the same ingredients. It's just in different quantities to get around the patent. I. The pan stuff, that's a conversation with different stuff. But to answer the question of should they do consistent testing, even if they do small changes like that, I think yes. I think they actually should do uh, testing periodically, probably like every every 30 years or so, even if the drugs are already patented. Things change. Knowledge change more. Well, I think they, they still do. Con they do continuing. I'm a, I'm I don't know this for sure. But from what I know about herbicides, they do continuing studies. So, like, as as soon as a, a herbicide is released, they do continuing studies on the use of it, on where it is, and like who's using it, and anything out of the ordinary for that population, health wise. So, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say they probably do the same thing for drugs that we actually put in our bodies. I don't think so. I they got. I I like. I'm trying to. If they're going to do that for something we don't put in our bodies, they got to do that for something we put in our bodies. I I I think it's once it's approved, it's approved. Cuz I'm trying I've never heard of anyone 
uh, retesting aspirin. I've never heard of anyone retesting lidocaine, which is like 1950s, which is kind of outdated. I, 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 I've never heard of it. continuous experiments done on approved drugs. I've always, like, uh, always, I've never come across that in any scientific research. But I, again, I think research should always can be continuously done, even if it's changed just a little bit. One, just to make sure, you know, the knowledge that we know hasn't changed at all, that different drugs and stuff like that might affect different people, size of these different, people different, genetics are different. But with your patent ones, that's a that's a whole that's a can of worms for a whole different podcast. I mean, the the simple quick ethical question in there is say it's say it's like you add one percent of a inert ingredient. Is it ethical to do a whole nother round of human experimentation for something we know isn't going to hurt anyone? You can't know for sure. So say uh, this is this is a dumb example. Say you make a grape flavored cough syrup, and I make a strawberry grape uh, flavored syrup. Well, I might be using more gum extract to hold in that flavor. Well, that gum extract might act as a ca- more since it increased two percent might act like a catalyst now and do something very differently. It, you don't need a lot of change to change the chemical bond. Now, take that with a grain of salt because there's a lot of chemical stuff where you can change whatever quantity you want. Nothing bad's going to happen. But it's when it's something life-saving, I think yes. When it's something every day, I think yes. That middle ground is questionable where it's like, um, I don't know, like you, like a... Uh, penicillin like instead of changing the drug they change the needle gauge size or something not penicillin uh insulin they change the needle gauge something something like that like how much it actually gets released or something like that that's a little bit more eh do we really need to test that but a consumable which uh, it i mean yeah i I think we have to test it because if i change something five percent with an inert well it might be inert and just that chemical, but what happens with my diet that activates something with that? Like, um, say I'm taking a magnesium pill, right? And uh, alongside with that me- magnesium pill, they add like a uh, what? What else? With like like a? I know I don't I don't think there's any aluminum pills, but I'm gonna use aluminum for example. Well, let's just say I take an aluminum pill, I drink a bunch of water, and then I take this other medication. Now. Because now this aluminum pill I'm taking has more aluminum in it, and I take this other pill that has some uh, some type of acid with it. Well, acid plus aluminum foil plus water means hydrogen gas produced. Just that if, if I increase the quantity, it might be enough to create some hydrogen in my body. It won't do any. It, I mean, it won't really do anything. But having a gas bubble that's not supposed to be in your body, it's probably not going to really do anything. There is that risk, but that's just an analogy I could come off the top of my head. Okay, I get where you're coming from. So then, my and I, and I see, I see your side. I, what's your opinion on this? I think it depends on you know what is changed. Like, I think if it's like something small, like it's aspirin, and you add, you know, like a little bit of, you know, you change percentage a small amount. I don't really know if you need to do it. I think. And I think you'll agree with me on this. If you're going to license the same exact ingredients list just under another name for like a generic brand, I don't think it needs to go through testing again. 
I don't know. I, what do you what do you think about that? I agree with that. As long as we're still doing the consistent testing, like they, it doesn't have to be from that exact company. It can just be those ingredients and in that kind of like a percentage range, and they're tested every I don't know thirty years. Then I don't think we need to retest every single time. There's a different type of like a Zyrtec nose clear, uh, sinus go away, cold be gone. I don't think we need to test every single one that has pretty much the same ingredients that goes from twenty six to twenty seven. But as long as there's consistent testing throughout the decades, I think is, uh, I think important. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do agree with that. I, uh, what about heavier medicines? Because you were talking about lighter medicines, but what about heavier medicines that they change just a little bit? Like say, um, chemotherapy, I don't think you can really do it cause it's radioactive. Um, what, what about, uh, like certain antibiotics, like I've been bitten by a brown recluse. I they gave me a bunch of pills. I I'll be honest, I don't know what they are. I'm assuming one of them is an antibacterial one because it to make sure I don't get infected from the bite. Well, there's generic antibiotics, and they change a couple of ingredients. But that's if the antibiotics don't work, that's an infection and I die. What about your, what's your opinion on that? Should those be tested when someone comes up with their own generic or their own? version of it i mean i think there needs to be a little bit more stringent testing on like life-saving medicines i don't think stuff that you know and let's be honest you know how many generic you know i mean you're not searching generic brand when you're getting antibiotics for a fucking brown recluse bite or a fucking rattlesnake bite you're you're getting whatever they're giving you and you're just gonna be happy to get it so I I guess a fair I, you feel free to disagree with me. You're talking about mainly only over the counter medicine. I think so. Of you know, I think anything that anything I mean even rope anything that goes into life saving application needs to be heavily tested. You need to know that what you're going to use will provide. The difference between utility rope that we use for nothing, utility rope that we're using for life saving is. Super, like the the I mean, just the change in price alone is ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a, a difference in anything that's life saving costs more. I mean, any anyone, you know, you look at any kind of fire rescue shit, you can have the same product, but as soon as you put that like fire rescue thing in front of it, it becomes a separate thing because it's one, it's got to go through trials, it's got to go to make sure it meets certain standards. It can be the same thing, but just to not have to market it or, you know, not have to do those tests saves people money. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely like a difference between, you know, ibuprofen and the like rattlesnake antivenom or brown recluse antivenom. But I think that's a different I mean, you're not you know, you don't go to the doctor. You don't go to the doctors like, hey, I'm looking to get some antivenom and can it be generic brand? <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> touche touche so and I, I think mostly i mean i don't know i think it, this is more a, a patent law question mixed in with an ethical question of of what where is the line that we're willing to risk human suffering in order to reduce price of drugs i guess is the the broader question i'm asking hidden in my question Ooh, depends on if you're big pharma or the everyday man. Uh, that's a that's a really hard one to define, Nick. And I I think we kind of hit around it in that it's 
somewhere around be, being life saving. Yeah, if it's not um, if it's not just making my day easier versus making sure I can see the next day. Yeah. Well, I got another one for you, Nick, and it's also kind of a tricky one. Is it ethical for humans who've got really nothing to lose to a volunteer to be human experiments? Now, an example of this is uh, some people who are paralyzed volunteer to do human trial experimentations to get machines, to get transfers, to get leg transfers, to get arms, to get all this X, Y, and Z so they have fully functioning again. I mean, it's kind of like a family guy joke of I'm already paralyzed. How much how much more can you do to me kind of thing? And if someone's on their deathbed, is it okay if they volunteer to do a allow an experimentation on themselves that might not have been exactly the most ethical or we know that will kill them like you know stage four you got you got six weeks max you're like you know what just sign up do whatever you need to do to me at least my death will be worth something yeah well i think those people are also covered under the uh i can't believe i forgot the word we use is it protected minorities protected persons something like that uh a disadvantaged persons or something was the basically the these are the people who are regularly taken advantage of in human uh studies it was from the right is it no it's not that's unrelated the beecher papers well i'm asking your personal opinion do you think paralyzed people should be allowed to have experimental stuff that's you know it's like fuck it if i can walk again or if i can use my arm again or if I can have control of my face after a stroke again, you know, do it. I I don't I don't care. Yes and no. See, that's that's the problem of this is where a lot of the experiments went wrong is that they took advantage of people like that by saying, well, they have no other options. And again, I think the the biggest the most important aspect of human experimentation is informed consent completely agree and i and i think that you know as long as you do the due diligence there of saying hey like this could happen but also this could happen like it could be worse i i do think it should be up i do think a, a person should have a little bit more sway in what they can and can't do you know like when in experimental procedures but it's hard to balance that with not letting the pharmaceutical, you know, company run wild, not letting these studies get out of hand. And I, I mean, it's, you know, it's you know, weird. Like, it's easy to say to someone like, hey, you could walk again or you could, you know, you could die and all this stuff. But look, you know, this is your only chance to walk again. That kind of seems like a good deal. I'm not going to lie. If I'm if like. No, I'm not saying par- like paralyzed. Like if I'm paralyzed from the waist down, and n- someone didn't follow my uh, well testament and attorney of health, and they didn't kill me, I mean, like, well, what do I, what do I got to lose? I'm a vegetable. Yeah, not meaning I get it. It's just that people in that position are regularly taken advantage of for human experimentation, and so there's got to be a protected organization or there's, something. There's got yeah, there's got to be some like it's 
you know, because we we say like, oh, like you could die, but it could be worse than that. Like you could be in a coma for however many years. You could lose the little control you have left. Like your body could start to eat itself. Yeah, it could be a fate worse than death. I mean, yeah, six week six week might not seem long until every day's misery. But I do think that it the an individual person should have more control to be able to do stuff like that to say, hey, like fucking fix this i don't you know whatever if you think you have a solution present it to me let me know this is it but at the same time it's hard to balance that with the fact like just we are all idiots and we'll all believe pretty much anything that's on facebook so it's like you're you're trying to assign the highest level of intelligence to someone but in reality our average intelligence is somewhere around like a high schooler right so Making a life decision when you're in panic and survival mode is probably not the best idea. But you also don't want to cross the ethical bridge of, one, having the government decide what you can and can't do, because we're not about that life. Is it bad? I think for human experimentations, big pharma and big companies shouldn't be allowed. It's actually the little guys that I think really should be the better ones. Well, you would think that, but time and time again has proven that <laughs> it's... It's evil all around. Sometimes it's, yeah, it's just not good. Like, the who is the doctor who experimented on all the prisoners with syphilis and uh, athlete's foot in, uh, like, the 60s? His famous line was, it was like a sea of skin in front of me, and it was like, a, I was a farmer ready to sow my fields. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, like, super fucked up. That's that's a hell of a statement. <laughs> that's, a, that's a descriptive, disgusting statement. Um, but, yeah, so I... I I think Big Pharma gets a bad rap because that's where all the people are. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily that the pharmaceutical companies are large. I mean, look at the history of human experimentation. It's a lot of individuals, yeah. I mean, the Greeks were the with the first one with the vivisection, which is live dissection. I don't think they did frowned any, upon. I don't think vi- they did the prisoners. Human. Oh yeah, they didn't count them as humans. Never mind. I I I, I retract my statement. So it's like, yes, Big Pharma gets a bad rap, but I think it's just humans who are bad. So it's like, and Big Pharma happens to be made up of humans, so I don't know how you get away from that. Uh, The answer is not AI, so I'm going (laughs) to jot that down. Well, we're already making robotic spiders. Why not? Why not have AI do human experimentation? Why not robotic spiders who experiment on us (laughs) for medical purposes? I mean, we're, we we kind of got already the ingredients. Why as well mix them together? Look, do we want it? Do we want it the sun to burn out, or do we want robotic spider apocalypse? I mean, we you can't have both. <laughs> um, just to answer my own question, I don't think it should be allowed for desperate people. I think it should be only for terminal people. That kind of seems like there's a huge crossover. There is, but like if you're paralyzed, paralyzed, and like say you have, um, I don't know, what's another big terminal disease? Uh, Parkinson's Polio. or or, or Alzheimer's or something or so- something, something where you will physically die, and they have a t- you literally have a shelf life. Like they they understand you will die within about a year and a half. It should be those people who allow to do it rather than people who are just paralyzed or who are in a bad situation or have like a disease that just sucks as much as it's terrible it's because at least with the people that have an expiration date 
no matter how bad the experiment gets, it will end. And maybe maybe we set laws where it has to be three weeks out from your death or something something like that. Like it has to, it has to be your three weeks from your doctor's estimated time of death. Something 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 like that. Because I think some humans should be allowed to volunteer their body for science. They do that with the dead, but for the living, sometimes it's sometimes you can. I don't know. It's just it's just weird. It's like a self sacrifice, self. It's 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 such a weird statement to think about. Use me as a guinea pig. But I think one thing you got to like. What if the drug takes you know a, a month or so to kick in, right? Like I I don't know. I think if you open it up to some, you open it up to all. I, I don't want to sit there with a piece of paper and say, well, you have you check X and Y, but you don't check off this other box, so we can't, you know, you can't make your own decisions. I, I think uh, we're... At... Yeah, we're talking in circles on this one. Yeah, maybe, maybe you are right, Nick. Humans are just not smart enough to make their own decisions, so maybe we should just not allow them to do their own decisions. Such No, my point is we're all too dumb to make our own decisions but we also the people who would make those decisions for us are even dumber so i think we should be allowed to make those decisions now i i think there'd be like a two like some kind of review of self right so it's like hey i'm going into this i know it's going to get dark i'm thinking about doing this give it two weeks right or something i mean maybe you could get an exemption to shorten it like hey well they should always allow an opt out like you should yeah, always you can to... always opt out, but I've thought about it and I want to do this. But you, there has to be like a waiting period, right? Like, you know, is it really this as desperate as I think it is, or has some time passed and I think I can get out of it? Yeah, without without experimental shit. There's a big difference of a five percent survival rate and a difference of no, there you're going to die. Like those are two very different things. They might seem similar, but they are very different. So I don't know. I I think it's. I'm not a, personally a fan of taking <laughs> rights, much less the right to potentially your happiness away from the individual. So another damned if you I do, damned if you don't. Yeah. So I'd I'd rather give more people freedom, right? Dangerous freedom over uh, what's the quote? Peaceful slavery. I don't know, something like that. Mm. Well, do you have any more questions for me? No, that was my my big question. So do you got anything else? Well. I don't have a question anymore, but I have something that might cheer you up a little bit. Something we didn't talk about, but I figured since it was going to be dark, I would save it for the end. It's one type of human experimentation we haven't talked about, and it's something many of us do already. We just don't get paid to do it. That'd be sex and masturbation human experiments. Go on. To solve migraines for women in Victoria area, they literally gave them a vibrator. That was a type of human experimentation. But that was before we knew about the female orgasm. <laughs> Even I'm surprised you know what that is, Nick. That Well, I'm you know, it's it hasn't been truly proven yet, but <laughs> hypothetically. But I mean, technically that's a type of human experimentation of, you know, you got to test the condoms. I mean, granted they're making monkeys and pigs eat them, but you know, test them with your human aspect when it goes to market i mean test i mean testing sex toys before they go to the market that's a type of human experimentation and that doesn't seem too bad that's uh that's maybe more human experimentation i can get behind yeah i think uh i mean 
so that that brings up an interesting point that I came across. I don't know if you came across this of how do people find people for human experimentation? Uh, colleges. You just <laughs> yeah, pretty broke people. So there's a whole new like industry where people's entire job is just finding people for experiments, right? So say you need someone with a certain disease or you need, you know, certain metrics. So you need like blonde males of 24 years of age, you know, shit like that. They'll pay people to go and find those kind of people to participate in the trials. So it's like a whole new industry that's popping up. Well, it's probably a lot easier now with social media. That's also very scary of, hey, check out this uh, page. It gives us a lot of possible subjects. We'll go see how much money they want for us to do stuff to them. When does when does human experimentation just become prostitution? Uh, I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> probably the best answer you possibly could have given. Oh, I... Think uh, had to thank a Supreme Court justice for that one. So. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that's really scary. It to th- I didn't really come across that in my research of the headhunter groups for human experimentation labs. I mean, we they do the same thing, you know, for polls. Why wouldn't they do the same thing for trials, right? It's just I, I'll be honest. The that medicine world in the world where it's pretty easy to sort by metric because all of our data is available online oh god oh Why god <laughs> all right fair enough that's uh yeah that scares the hell out of me now oh god are, are do you think there will ever be laws that allow people not to target you like imagine you're having a human experimentation group for disease x and they see based on your social media you have disease x so they start sending brochures to you that they'll be targeting ads for human experimentation based on your disease. Well, the optimist in me wants to tell you that, no, we're not pretty well fucked, but in reality, we're probably pretty fucked, right? Yeah. They, I mean, oh, man. Oh, man. That's, I, I mean, if you announce your medical records, are they no, are they no longer, oh, see you? Oh, man, that's, oh, man, that's a rabbit hole. Well, it's a good thing I don't have an app on my phone that has all of my, like, medical shit on it, so we're good there. Secure. <laughs> well, Nick, that's about all I got. It's, uh, it was kind of hard researching this, because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's dark. <laughs> that's the best way I can say it. It's just dark. Yeah, so I think, uh, this, this is my summary of human experimentation, I don't like when people do that to other humans, but at the same time, I want a pill that makes me skinny. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's a dual, it's a dual sword. You uh, either cut yourself or you cut down the weeds in front of you. There's no in between. There's, it's either good or bad. That's that's it. But I do have a question for the listeners, unless you have a question for them, Nick. Probably not a good one. What do you got? I would love for the, our listeners to. Think about this question and answer this question of how many lives is one life worth? Well, I'm not going to be able to answer that. So we'll see what uh, people have to say. You know, let us know the answer to that question on Reddit or uh, send us a message on Instagram. But uh, if you want to have an actual discussion, Reddit's where I'd go. Uh, before we get out of here, Mike, what are you reading? 
I am reading Geometry for Ocelots by Exerbia, and so far, it's a really, the best way I can describe it, it's a, the political part of, it. it's Dune meets Alice in Wonderland. It's interplanetary politics, war, and doomsday mix in with an acid trip, and so far, so good. What about you, my friend? What are you reading? I am reading The Age of Wood, Our Most Useful Material in the Construction of Civilization by Roland Enos, which is the most Great Depression name I've ever heard. That's that's That yeah. book's actually on my list. How is that? Uh, you know, it's pretty good. I like it. Um, it. I'm assuming it all comes together. I feel like there's a lot of tangents right now, and I feel like it's all going to tie together. Or there's just a lot of tangents. I can't tell. I'm not far enough into it. I've only been reading it for like two months and just haven't had the time to finish it. But so far, it's good. I'll let you know how it is or give it to you when I finish it. Good to know. And hopefully, we're able to shed some light on human experimentation because, boy, we went from uh, stealing to self-human experimentation to brain cells in spiders to putting man bear pig as an actual possibility and future threat for humanity uh, with that all being said thank you all for listening thanks for listening to the backyard philosophy podcast we rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up so let us know what we forgot And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.